Welcome to Archaeoed, a podcast about ancient civilizations in the Americas. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Barnard, and I've been an archaeologist all around the Americas for over 20 years now. In this podcast, I'm going to talk about ancient civilizations that I find interesting. Sometimes it'll be overviews, sometimes it'll be very in-depth information, basically anything I feel like talking about, because this is my podcast and I'm just having fun with it. I hope you enjoy it too. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and let's get started. Episode 2, Palenque. Palenque is a classic period Maya city located in the northern part of modern-day Chiapas, Mexico. Why did I pick Palenque as my second episode, you ask? Because I know it like the back of my hand. In fact, I spent three years of my life there making what's now the most complete map of those ruins. Then I spent another five years living there on and off as I developed Maya Exploration Center. I had plans to build the center there and stay, but life had other plans for me. Even before I lived there, I knew a ton about it because it was the favorite Maya city of my mentor, Linda Sheely. In 1973, she and a group of scholars broke the Maya code at Palenque. But that's another story. My first published paper about Maya hieroglyphics way back in 1993 was actually about the inscriptions of Palenque. It's an absolute jewel of the ancient world, and I was thrilled to work there. Now, there are many beautiful ruins in the world, but I would argue none are in a more beautiful location than Palenque. It's nestled into the jungle-covered side of a mountain range, with a commanding view of the plains below. It has no walls, but it's in a naturally defensive spot. Six rivers run through it, Each with majestic waterfalls and tranquil pools, the entire city had access to perennial water sources. The river running through the city center, right along its palace, is the Otulum. At one time, there was a huge section of it that was completely covered as an aqueduct below the plaza. Nowadays, only about 70 meters of that capped section still remain. Oftentimes in the early morning, a mist covers the plains below, making the city seem like it's just hanging in the clouds. In fact, a few texts at Palenque call the city Muyal, or Place of the Clouds. When I did the mapping survey, we found lots of fruiting trees everywhere. Groves of oranges, others of mangoes. Avocados and cacao trees are found throughout. Also, chicosapote trees with a succulent red pulpy fruit. The sarcophagus of Palenque's most famous king, Pakal, was covered with images of his ancestors emerging from different kinds of fruiting trees. Now, I can't say for sure that there were fruit tree groves there back in ancient times, but I can for sure say the area would have supported them. It still does, with no cultivation at all. The hieroglyphs give us the city's ancient name, Lakam Ha. Traditionally, that translates big water. But looking at the glyph, I have another theory. The Ha symbol is very clear, and that means water. And it makes good sense considering all the rivers that run through the city. 
But the other glyph, Lakam, is a depiction of a tree bending over under the weight of its fruit. There's an argument based on the principle of substitution that this symbol is pronounced Lakam, but I wonder if we aren't wrong about that. If its name was something more like fruit tree water, it might be a descriptive title of the resource abundance of Palenque. And certainly, fruit tree groves would have explained Palenque's obvious wealth. That's just one of my theories, uh, but it makes sense to me. Another of my pet theories about Palenque has to do with its location within the Maya world. It sits on its far western edge. It's not the very farthest west. We do know of many small Maya towns and villages and at least two major urban centers that are west of Palenque. But all of them appear to have been part of Palenque's wider kingdom. And just FYI, those other two major urban centers are Tortuguero and Comalcalco both in the modern state of Tabasco. But as far as the farthest western capital city of the Maya, Palenque was really the gateway into the Maya world. Any civilization to the west, if they came by land along the gulf on the Mexico side, they'd have to pass through the realm of Palenque. That wider kingdom was called Bacnal, or place of bones. I've always thought that that literal translation sounds a little bit harsh. Bach is bone, for sure, but maybe they meant to imply ancestors or something? Bone place just seems a bit strange for such a, a beautiful city. But whatever its meaning, any trade coming by land from the west into the Paten or the Yucatan had to go through that kingdom of Bacnal. That would include the Teotihuacan Entrada in the late 300 CE. Once Teotihuacan arrived in the Mundo Maya, lots of things changed. For one, many Maya dynasties started. Copan, Rio Azul, and Curigua, to name a few. And Palenque. In 431 CE, it was one of them. They got their first king that year. Though currently we have virtually no proof of Teotihuacan's influence on Palenque, it must have happened. And that's probably because we've yet to find Palenque's earliest settlement evidence at the site. In fact, before the 12th dynastic king, we've got almost nothing but texts talking about them. That being said... A stucco facade depicting a Teotihuacan warrior was found buried inside the North Group, right in the main plaza. What's it doing there? Well, I think it was showing that influence did indeed exist. The other intriguing possibility is that the Olmec passed through Palenque. Again, we currently have no archaeological proof that Palenque even existed in the Olmec time period. And yet, a genealogical text in the Temple of the Sun tells us a weird thing. It says that long before the dynasty of kings began in 431 CE, there was another king. His name was Ukishchan, and it says that he reigned at 900 BCE. 
Who the heck is that? That would place him directly at the same time that the city of Leventa was thriving, and Leventa was an Olmec major capital. Now, there's always the possibility that that was just historical propaganda, but I think it's more probable that archaeology is missing something. Okay, well, I'm going to take a little break, and when I return, we'll talk about Palenque's formal dynastic history. This break is where commercials should go, but until I find people who'd like to buy the time, I'll just promote what I'm doing. If you like the cultures and places I'm talking about in this podcast, you should consider traveling with my colleagues and I. I'm the director of Maya Exploration Center, a nonprofit dedicated to the better understanding of ancient American civilizations. We do that through things like this podcast, our website, public lectures, and educational travel programs like I just mentioned. If you'd like to find out more about how to get involved, or just give us a donation to continue our work, check us out at www.mayaexploration.org. That's mayaexploration.org. Okay, I'm back. Next, I'd like to talk about Palenque's history as a living city. That's not as easy as it sounds. Basically, we have two sources of information with which to understand it, archaeology and hieroglyphic inscriptions, and each have serious limitations. Archaeology can only see what can last a thousand years in the jungle. Everything perishable was gone long ago. Even in a sealed tomb, organic matter becomes piles of goo. And Maya hieroglyphics are frustratingly myopic. They only ever talk about the deeds of Maya kings and nobles. Maybe Palenque's books contained more, but those are all gone. Only stone and stucco glyphs remain. In terms of Palenque's history, the archaeology and the hieroglyphs only partially overlap. The hieroglyphs tell us of a dynasty of 16 kings from 431 to 799 CE. They also name individuals all the way back into the BC period and really all the way back into the creation before this one. In contrast, we have the archaeological record based on excavations. From that source, we have precious few artifacts older than the times of Palenque's 12th and most famous ruler, Kanich Hanab Pakal. And when you look at the archaeology we've actually done at Palenque, the disparity between that and the hieroglyphic record isn't really hard to understand. Despite over a hundred years of excavations, we've still only investigated less than 50 buildings there. The map I made of the city itself, uh, over 20 years old now, has roughly 1,500 buildings and kilometers of erosion terracing. 50 structures out of 1,500 is a 3.3% sample. Who would imagine we're getting a full picture from that? It's entirely possible, even probable, that the city's oldest sections are still buried in the jungle somewhere. And so, when it comes to reconstructing Palenque's history, while archaeological confirmation would be ideal, we have a much deeper history told in the city's hieroglyphic texts. 
Now, some of my colleagues think that hieroglyphic texts are mostly propaganda and really shouldn't be trusted. But in my opinion, why would we discount it? Clearly, some of it is mythological, but there are also parts that are mirrored in the temples and tombs. For my money, the Maya wrote their history, and we have little reason to doubt it. So, let's talk about the history as they themselves recorded it. The fullest understanding of Palenque's dynastic history comes from the corpus of hieroglyphic texts from all across the site, as well as a handful of texts found at other cities. But the single best text listing the dynasty was commissioned by Pakal's first son and heir-designate. His name was Kanich Khan Balam. Those texts are located in the shrine inside of the Temple of the Cross, and they name rulers leading up to Khan Balam, eight of them, plus a collection of names stretching back thousands of years earlier. Though the text was likely commissioned around 690 CE, its start date is 3121 BCE, when a mythological mother figure named Mat Mawan is born. I first learned the name Mat Mawan in the 1990s from Linda Sheely. At the time, we hadn't translated her name yet, and Linda called her Lady Beastie, because part of her name glyph looked like some kind of animal. Her birth, on December 7th, 3121 BC, was eight years before the start of the fourth creation in 3114 BC. And the text makes sure we know that by next mentioning the date 4 Ahau 8 Kunku and telling us that 13 Baktuns were completed. Then, and only then, we learn about who we think is her husband. Specifically, one year, nine months, and two days after the fourth creation started, he goes into the sky and establishes the sixth place. What's that? We don't really know. But we know it's a pretty magical place, and that it's in the north, which means it has something to do with the entry into the land of the dead. So then, after a 754-year gestation period, Matmuan gives birth to three sons. We call them the Palenque Triad. Archaeologists give them pretty boring names. We call them G1, G2, and G3. Their real names are difficult to translate, and if you really want to know more about that, then I suggest you Google David Stewart's extensive work on trying to figure them out. This triad of gods and their mother would become essential to Pakal's validation of his right to rule. In fact, there's some reason to believe that he invented them in some kind of master stroke of mythological propaganda. But whatever the case, his son, Khan Balam, exalts them as the progenitor deities of Palenque. Then the text jumps 1,330 years ahead to a person that I've already mentioned, U Kish Chan. It says he was born in 993 BC and crowned king of Palenque in 967 BC at the ripe old age of 36. Who is this guy? Archaeology finds no evidence of a Palenque in 967 BC. Heck, there's virtually no Maya civilization anywhere at that time. 
The closest known city at that time to Palenque is actually the Olmec city of Laventa. I wish I had a good answer, but I don't. My only conclusion is that we're missing major pieces of Palenque's history from a purely excavation archaeological perspective. In any event, the section of the text that mentions Ukishcham, which by the way translates as snake spine, does an interesting thing. He mentions the start at the bottom of the left side of the text block, and then starts at the top of the right side text block with a new part of Palenque's history. It's like it's straddling the gap between mythological and historical time. Right after Ukishchan, we get our first known historical ruler, the lineage founder of Palenque named Kuk Balam. The text tells us that he's born on March 31st of 397 CE and that he was 32 years old when he was crowned on March 11th, 431. Those are impressive details for someone that was born 350 years earlier. It also tells us that for reasons still unknown, Kukbalam only ruled for four years. Did he die? Certainly not of old age. The time period is right when Teotihuacan is exerting its maximum influence on the Maya world, just like I said earlier. It's already established dominance over Tikal's lineage, and Copan's dynastic founder Yashkuk Mo was clearly connected to Teotihuacan, so much so that he's commonly depicted with Tlaloc's goggle eyes, and his tomb has a pot almost certainly made at Teotihuacan. Personally, I'm pretty sure that Palenque's new dynasty started under Teotihuacan's authority too. I just can't prove it yet. But... I can say stuff like that here because this is my podcast. So the next 10 rulers of Palenque are rather shadowy figures. We have their names, births, ascensions, and deaths, but details of their lives are few and far between. The second ruler rules for a long time, 52 years. It's actually right on the money for exactly one full Maya calendar round. Which makes me suspicious that it was actually made up. By the way, a Maya calendar round is the lowest common multiple of their solar hob calendar of 365 days and sacred Solkine calendar of 260 days. That comes out to 18,980 days or perfectly 52 years. We also still can't translate Ruler 2's name glyph. We call him Casper because Linda Sheely thought the main sign looked like a ghost. She called him Casper just because she was having fun with the process. Little did she know that that name would still be in the literature 50 years later. We do know the third ruler's name. It's Butza Sakchik, which means Smoking White Kawatamundi. Kind of a weird name. He rules a respectable 23 years. But his claim to fame, of course besides being king, is that a text in Temple 17 says that he was the first ruler crowned in Lakamha, not Toktan. And I explained the difference between those two locations earlier, so just rewind if you forgot what I said. We know virtually nothing about the next four rulers, but they must have been respected. 
I can say that because their names are reused by two sons and a grandson of Palenque's greatest king, Pakal. Palenque's history starts to come into focus and gets really interesting in 583, when its first queen takes the throne, Lady Yol Iknal. Okay, I'm going to take another quick break here, and when we continue, we'll go on with Palenque's dynastic history from here. The Ancient Maya Calendar. I'm fascinated by it, and though I've been studying it for decades, I still learn new things about it all the time. I call it ancient, but I and literally millions of modern Maya people are still tracking it into modern time. Towards that end, I've created two products to help people better understand it. My annual Maya wall calendar and an iPhone app called simply Maya Calendar. Through these tools, you can figure out today's date, or tomorrow's, or a Maya date thousands of years in the past. The app will even calculate your Maya birthday and tell you about your personality traits and destiny according to modern Maya daykeeper priests. The Maya Calendar app is available through iTunes, but both it and my annual Maya wall calendar are available through my website, mayan-calendar.com. That's mayan with an n-calendar.com. Check it out. All right, I'm back. Let's continue talking about Palenque's dynasty. When Lady Yol Iknal took the throne in 583, it was probably a sign of trouble for the dynastic sequence. I say that for two reasons. One, though the ancient Maya were not opposed to female rulers, they were never chosen if a male heir was available. And second, the two kings before her had suspiciously short reigns. Akal Monab II reigned for only five years, and Khan Balam I only eleven. Something was killing off those kings, probably the kind of stuff that you don't commemorate in hieroglyphs. As recorded on a hieroglyphic stairway, we can read about what was likely assaulting Palenque's dynasty. It talks about mighty Kalakmul, also known as the Snake Kingdom, attacking. Kalakmul's archenemy was not Palenque, but Tikal. But since they had subdued Tikal in 562, it made sense that soon after, they were going after Tikal's allies, and Palenque was one of those sites. In 599, they attacked Palenque likely with an army they had marched for days to reach the westernmost capital of Tikal's alliance. The hieroglyphs say that they axed Palenque and threw down the Palenque triad of gods. Lady Yol Iknal survived another five years, but died in 604 CE. Her son, Ahen Yol Mat, takes the crown, but fares no better than his mother. Kalakmul returns in 611, this time capturing the king and his family. They live for about a year, probably incarcerated and humiliated, but then are all executed within that same year. The inscriptions say, Lost were the lady, lost was the lord, the rituals were not performed. And shortly after, that's when a nine-year-old boy walked into Palenque to change the city's ill fortune for the better. 
We're not sure what his boyhood name was, but he would become Palenque's greatest king, Kenich Hanab Pakal II. In 612 CE, he walked in with his mother. She was a woman from a still undiscovered place, but we know what its name was. It was Oshteku. She had a beautiful name. It was Lady Sak Kuk, which means Lady White Quetzal. This is one of the moments in Palenque's history that's still debated. I'm in the camp that says that from 612 to 615, Lady Sakuk was the queen, holding the throne for her son until he turned 12 years old. Others say that no one was the ruler at that time, and the inscriptions referring to Mwan Mat as ruler were not Pakal referring to his mother as a reincarnation of the Triad's mother, but rather saying that Palenque was in the hands of their patron deities. But to my mind, especially considering that Pakal would continue his what we call religious propaganda by comparing himself to Mwan Mat's firstborn son, G1, I believe that former theory. But whoever's right, or maybe we're all wrong, in any event, Pakal is crowned officially as king in 615, and would go on to reign an amazing 69 years more. Pakal's first problem was one of legitimacy. He was not a direct descendant of the dynasty. Assumably, Lady Sakuk was of the bloodline, but we're still not sure exactly how. So step one was the religious propaganda that I just referred to. Pakal said that he was better than the bloodline, that he was in fact G1 reincarnated, come to save Palenque from Kalakmul's tyranny. In his 20s, he married an important lady from Toktan, Lady Sakbu Ahau, and he had three sons with her. Two of those sons would succeed him as king. The third, Tiwol Chan Mat, would die young, but his son, Pakal's grandson, would also be a future king. The next step was to rebuild the city. While Kalakmul was distracted beating up other kingdoms, Pakal erected many temples and vastly expanded the palace. He also regained military dominance over the immediate region. We see that dominance in the stone carvings at the palace. Lots of regional lords bowing and paying homage to Pakal. Pakal was clearly beloved in his kingdom. His visage was everywhere. Once while walking along a stream in Palenque, miles away from the city center, I found the head of a ceramic figurine that was clearly Pakal. Local people appear to have had something like action figures of their king. But just as important to Pakal as his own public image was that of his heir-designate, the man who would become Kanich Khan Balam. That boy's childhood name was A-Pitzal, meaning he of the ball game or ball game player. Pakal trained him in all possible ways, sports, arts, math, science, no doubt war as well. He was 48 years old when Pakal died and apparently quite ready to accede the throne. Shortly after burying his father in the amazing Temple of the Inscriptions, he went about building his own set of temples, the Cross Group. The Cross Group is incredible. 
It's a showcase of Maya architectural geometry, astronomical knowledge, and a place where the Palenque dynastic lineage is very clearly outlined in its hieroglyphs. Each of the three main temples, the sun, the cross, and the foliated cross, exhibit unique geometry, and yet visually, they still appear as a set. Each has an interior shrine showing Khan Balam as a boy and as an adult, celebrating his transition to king. Perhaps the strangest thing about Khan Balam was his extra digits. Multiple images at the site once showed him with six fingers and six toes. The last sixth toe was plucked off a stucco panel in the palace by a tourist in 1999. What a jerk. Even still, everyone acknowledges his extra digits as real. And since we still haven't found his tomb, I dream of a day when we find him in a sealed sarcophagus like his dad, complete with his sixth digits. I personally think he's deep inside Temple 11, and I have a lot of reasons why, but that's another podcast. Kanbalam seemed to be honoring his father's legacy right up to the moment that he wasn't. At 67, less than a year before a full cartoon in rain, he died. My guess is at the hands of the enemy city of Tony Na. Whatever happened, it was sudden, unexpected, and probably embarrassing. Hence, no celebration or clearly marked tomb like his father. The throne fell to his younger brother, Khan Hoi Chitam, at the age of 58. He had lived his entire life as a courtesan, and I suspect that he was a dilettante, totally unprepared to rule. He built temples, but not like his brother. Most of his fell apart. He commissioned hieroglyphic panels, but nothing like the astronomical texts of Khan Balam. And he went to war, but unlike his brother, he was captured alive by Tony Na. Tony Na kept poor Khan Hoi Chi Tam for almost ten years, depicting him as a captive on their monuments, and even parading him around to other cities. He probably died of old age as a captive. Palenque had an interim ruler during that time. He was named Upakal Kanich. Some of my colleagues disagree with that, suggesting instead that Upakal Kanich was a future king after Khan Hoichi Tom. But his recognition as an Ahau, while Khan Hoichi Tom was still alive, doesn't really make much sense to me. The next king, 15 by my count, was Akal Monab III, the grandson of Pakal. He built his temples in the southern Acropolis, and inside of those temples we found carved benches showing scenes from his reign. In both temples 21 and 22, we found images which seemed to be trying to validate Akal Monab's III's reign. On the Temple 21 bench, we see him conferring with two sets of nobles, and that's something that his all-powerful grandfather never needed to do. On the Temple 22 bench, there's this amazing scene of his grandfather, Pakal, emerging from the other world and giving Akal Monab, and specifically not Upakal Kanich, who was also there, his bloodletting stingray spine. That 
was apparently intended to settle the troubles about whether Akalmonov had the right to rule again and to replace Upakalkanich as the city's rightful dynastic ruler. Akalmonov probably had that commissioned himself, and the image was showing again his legitimacy to rule. The 16th ruler of Palenque was named Kukbalam II, clearly named to conjure links between the lineage founder and himself. He's named on the tablet of the 96 glyphs found at the base of the palace tower and in a few other places, but otherwise really nowhere. We don't even know when he died or what he really did in his reign. The final ruler of Palenque mentioned, and we're really not sure whether he was the 17th or the 18th or what, was named Wak Kimi Pakal, a single incised pot from a residential group near the Queen's Bath, the waterfalls down below the main city, tell us that he acceded the throne in 799 CE. But that's it. That's the last known text from Palenque. After almost 400 years, the dynastic succession, the lineage, and the city along with it, fall silent. In fact, Palenque was one of the first of the classic cities to fall. You've been listening to Archeo Ed, a podcast about ancient civilizations of the Americas. If you liked what you heard, then do all those things that I'm supposed to ask you to do, like subscribe, share, leave a review, and rate it. If you didn't like it, then don't do any of that stuff. This podcast was conceived, produced, and edited by me, Dr. Ed Barnhart, with the occasional help of my children, who are more tech-savvy and definitely cooler than I. All rights reserved. Copyright 2019.